Hello, Changing Narrative listeners. If you're tuning into the series for the first time, this is episode four, which is focused on outside resources for victims of sexual assault and domestic violence. Here's my conversation with Natalie and Jessica, both interns with SAFER, which is Cal Poly's confidential advocacy, education, and support resource for addressing sexual assault, sexual misconduct, dating violence, domestic violence, and stalking. Natalie also works for RISE, SLOW, which is a nonprofit organization that provides crisis intervention and treatment services to survivors of sexual and intimate partner violence and their loved ones. It is a confidential service often provided at no cost. Okay, so first, why don't you guys just tell me your names and like a little bit about each of yourselves? Okay. <laughs> um, I'm Natalie Higgins. I'm, excuse me. Um, I'm Natalie Higgins. I'm a fifth-year psychology major, graduating in June. Um, I also have a minor in sociology, and I've been doing this work for about the last two years, Um, so this work being uh, working for SAFER at Cal Poly, and I started as an intern, and this year I've been a student assistant with a focus on study abroad and students who are traveling abroad, but I also operate in all the other avenues as well and then in the last year I've been also working with RISE as a volunteer and have um, advocated for survivors through them as well. Cool thank you. Okay so have either of you guys like had any experience working with victims directly at all or? Um, Yeah I actually have worked directly with survivors a couple of times the The most, I guess, like dramatic one, which I can't talk too in detail about just because it's all confidential, but that was an accompaniment to a police report as well as a SART uh, examination. So I was with that person for about six or seven hours that day. And uh, it was a long day, (laughs) Um, but it was, it was good to be there. I was happy to be, to help that person. Um, And yeah, so I just, I was able to help them through their their experience with that yeah. and um, really just remind them of their rights and what they're allowed to say or not say yeah. and um, give them the, the emotional support that they needed at yeah. the time because it was also the perpetration happened within 24 hours of that. Oh, wow. So it was very, very fresh and dramatic. But that was, so that's the most dramatic one. Other than that, yeah. um, I've worked mostly with just over-the-phone crisis calls and all of this, by the way, is under the umbrella of RISE, not yeah. safer. Um, so with RISE, I've also worked the crisis line and I've, um, spoken with survivors over the phone and kind of given them some mild crisis counseling and, yeah. uh, just hearing them and supporting them and giving them some advice, you know, with various needs. It's yeah. all across the board with how they're feeling that day because yeah, our, our line is welcome to anyone. So, um, see our line, right? <laughs> RISE's line is welcome to anyone 24 hours. Yeah. So if you're you know, a survivor that's been working with RISE for a long time and needing some advice or if you're, mm-hmm. you know, something just happened or you're a friend or any sort of capacity. So I've, I've spoken to quite a few people that kind of fall under that category. Um, as with SAFER, I don't work directly with survivors. Again, as Jessica said, it's kind of just the triaging, getting them in the office, set mm-hmm. up with an appointment or a crisis counselor. Um, but I, I guess on another end is we maybe not speak directly with survivors, but we will sort of communicating, collecting stories sometimes yeah. for 
awareness campaigns um, or just hearing people disclose to us at times, like when yeah. we're doing boosting events and that kind of thing. But that's not necessarily a crisis counseling situation. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. more of just hearing someone share their story. So, yeah. Cool. So, like, with those stories, do you think there's any, like, hearing those and then knowing kind of just, like, the public stigma, do you think there's any common misconceptions um, that, like, the public thinks that have been broken, at least in your mind, that you could share? I know it's kind of a hard question. Several things came into mind already. (laughs) Um, I'll start with one, and then I'll pass it off. So I think the biggest one is everyone thinks it's walking home and someone jumping out of the bushes. Yeah. And that it's a complete stranger. Yeah. So that's the biggest misconception. There have been cases, and surprisingly, there was one about a year or two years ago near my house that was literally that. Yeah. But that's, like, the only one at Cal Poly. Like, (laughs) you know, or one out of 50. Yeah. So, yeah, I'd say that's a huge misconception. Yeah. Um, I think specifically for intimate partner violence, I've kind of jumped into my brain is a lot of people kind of have the image of like a heterosexual couple who's married yeah. living together. Um, whereas like a lot of what we see here is more dating violence. Um, kind of yeah, varying degrees of relationships. Obviously, um, relationships outside of kind of a heterosexual cisgender mm-hmm. relationships. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of something that comes to mind a lot. I think that's why we do use dating violence and intimate partner violence. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> just to kind of like um like acknowledge that kind of yeah so what do you yeah. think is like the best word to call it instead of domestic violence <laughs> i've gotten the habit of calling gender discrimination That's, yeah um for a while i was even using gender violence but because i realized gender violence still summons the image of rape or getting attacked mm-hmm. Whereas a lot of the discussions we'll have, especially in my avenue with um, study abroad, mm-hmm. isn't necessarily that severe. Mm-hmm. It's even just harassment on the street or yeah. roping yeah. or um, feeling uncomfortable and singled mm-hmm. out because of your, you know, like inappropriate flirting, that kind of thing. Yeah. Which is still under the, that's still harassment. But, you know, there's several milder versions that are still just as bad and effective mm-hmm. and can yeah. cause trauma. So that's why I like to use gender discrimination, but I think gender violence is also a really good umbrella term as well. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think kind of going off of that, a lot of when people think about using like saving services or something from rice, the kind of their immediate thing is it has to be something that is like sexual assault or physical mm-hmm. violence where there's so many other degrees that still cause trauma and people like, yeah. would like to work through that. And I think that's kind of the big thing. So like they wouldn't reach out because they don't think they fit under it exactly. kind of thing. Yeah. yeah that makes sense. Wow, that's interesting. Just like, yeah. oh, this isn't that bad. Yeah. Like, they yeah. lay it down. That's exactly. cool. One I would like to mention as well as emotional abuse. Um, people don't often know it when it's happening, especially mm-hmm. within the bounds of like a set relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, whether that be like a partner or even a roommate. Mm-hmm. Um, necessarily with a roommate, that's not necessarily sexual violence. That's just, you know roommate abuse, I don't yeah. know, but um, people don't often think of emotional abuse as well mm-hmm. as a form of abuse, or even yeah. technological. Mm-hmm. Um, people will, off- like, partners can often stalk you on phones, find yeah. your friends, but, you know, bar your your account usage, or, like, monitor your texts, that's yeah. a form of abuse, and emotional abuse of just, you know, being verbally aggressive, um, you know, being manipulative, and so we can have people, we serve that form of abuse too, even though it's not, you know, rape or yeah. physical assault. Mm-hmm. Um, and even stalking as well. We serve people that are uh, survivors of stalking. So there's several different, there's a huge yeah, domain yeah. for that. Yeah. <laughs> there's so much. Yeah. Okay. This just works at the time. <laughs> I just, like, there are two questions. One, how did you guys both get involved in this field? And then 
Um, also, are there any like roadblocks that you feel like you guys face in the field? Yeah, um, I actually safer three off my radar for like the first like, two years of school. Mm-hmm. Um, I my first appeal to it actually was really professional, and obviously that changed immediately. Yeah. But um, in the beginning, it was oh, this is a great opportunity to get trained mm-hmm. to volunteer. Mm-hmm. And to learn more in the trauma field, because I'm a psychology major, so I was thinking, oh, I might want to work with people who have been through some sort of trauma or be a crisis counselor, so that's why I initially sought it out. And then, of course, immediately, like, after even a few sessions of the leadership training, I was like, okay, yeah, this is something I'm, like, very personally passionate about. Yeah. Um, Because I think, I don't mean to overgeneralize, but I think most people who have either, either been affected directly or indirectly... Um, and I think in a lot of ways that tends to be people of our demographic. So um, just over, you know, just broad strokes, obviously mm-hmm. it affects everyone and anyone. But um, I think generally speaking, uh, people who are female identified of a college age tend yeah. to resonate with the topic a little more. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, so that really resonated with me. And so then I had to wait, <coughs> I had to wait a year after I took the leadership training to apply for an internship. I did, I got it. And since yeah. I've gotten the internship, I've just been more and more motivated every single, like every project I yeah. do. It's just like, I want to do more, which is also why I sought out the RISE training. So I was like, that's, that's another awesome. way to get me yeah. more qualified and to like be of more service to people. So yeah. That's cool. Do you feel like there's any roadblocks at all, like trying to like wanting to serve those people like is there anything that makes it really difficult or totally (laughs) (laughs) um I think there are more roadblocks than not yeah (laughs) um I would say actually the most salient one that comes to mind at least that is Cal Poly specific Mm -hmm. probably just CSE specific is the sort of uh legislative side of it and the cultural side of it and that there's a huge culture that denies the existence of mm-hmm. sexual assault or that it's very mild and that people are just being overdramatic yeah and i think that in itself is a major roadblock yeah. i'm gonna stop this interview for a moment just to highlight the point natalie just made here there's a huge culture that denies the existence of sexual assault altogether i hope that after listening to this podcast series You, as a listener, are not a member of this culture that's denying sexual assault. These victims go through enough already. I think the least we can do is just believe them. Okay, I'm done with my tangent. Back to the interview. Because you try to either have conversations and educating your peers, and they're resistant towards what you're trying to, you know, reveal to Mm -hmm. them, or you're trying to service a survivor, or a survivor's trying to reach out to services and they may feel very disconnected from the service or from the school and feel like they're not being supported and therefore be less apt to either follow through with services or to reach out in the first place. And so I think that's our biggest cultural block, at least at this moment, is like college culture and then just like the legislative end of it, of like giving survivors more of what they need. Yeah. So, cool. Thank you. Yeah. Um, okay, well then I'll just... Um, is there anything else you guys want to touch on or like any projects you're working on or anything you wanted to share? (laughs) (laughs) Um, well, I've been doing study abroad stuff, so that's my main gig. Um, and so what I've been doing recently is just trying to create a more robust curriculum with the study abroad center. We already have pre-existing materials online Mm -hmm. that students can access. And then we also give workshops 
Uh, so I'm just preparing for that and really just trying to best phrase, or not, I shouldn't say phrase, how to word uh, the curriculum in a way that students can really easily absorb it, but still understand the difficult topic. Yeah. Wait, so how do you do that? <laughs> it's tough. Um, I try to just, I've actually just tried to broaden it a bit. And this okay. is like the language I use it verbally in my workshops too, is I say, I'm looking at this through a lens of gender and identity. So mm-hmm. I also talk about the LGBTQ community mm-hmm. as well. But be aware that all of this works for just general safety. So yeah. like, you know, all of this is good for just physical safety, which is what most students have in mind when yeah. they're preparing to study abroad. And public for my workshop too, because it's called safer travels. So mm-hmm. people don't think, oh, sexual assault. They just yeah. think safety. Um, but I still embed all of that and then I try to make it as easily understandable by breaking down some definitions I like for the workshops have um a whole handout that they fill out during the workshop and a lot of it is just assessing their own identity so like you know do I want to date while I go abroad yeah. like do I want to have safe sex when I go abroad like how am I gonna like where's contraception and I kind of just list those questions out in the handout so that way even if I don't get a chance to really go over that, like, in detail Mm -hmm. in the workshop. They can go home with that. So, and then also for the online materials, like, I just try to really be as simple as possible while still getting to the issue, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, that does. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Um, And if I may, I think one thing, like, one last thought I'd, I'd have, and this is something I find myself explaining a lot to people that are... Uh, less aware of sexual assault and the parameters around it, especially on college campuses, mm-hmm. is that it's not one thing. It's like we kind of touched on it, but it's like it's not rape. It's not mm-hmm. or just rape. It's not just getting drunk and getting you know assaulted by a frat boy. That's what everyone seems yeah. to think it is. And really, it is anything, and it's up to the survivor, and it all is based on consent. Yeah, <laughs> like that's why we teach it so much. It's all based on consent. If you do not consent the whole way through of whatever you're doing, whether it's just making out in a corner or, like, having sex or, you know, if you don't consent of someone following you around, you know, then it's not okay. And so I think that's, like, one thing. If I could just pass that along to anyone, it's just, like, it all roots in consent. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, it was nice meeting you guys. Thank thank you you so much. Thank Thank you for tuning in. Check back soon for the next episode.